This Cap Times podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Learn more at exactsciences.com. You know, I don't think that I was eating fresh carrots as a kid. Baby carrots were carrots, you know? We're bringing in a lot of different foods that kids may have never seen before, and I think it's really important to make it fun and comfortable for them, and then they are definitely more likely to try what we're bringing. Hello, welcome to The Corner Table, a podcast about food and drink in Madison, Wisconsin, produced by the Capital Times. I am your host, Cap Times food editor, Lindsay Christians. We're at the start of what I've heard called the third new year. The first one, of course, is in January. The second one is June. And the third new year is right now, the start of September, as kids go back to school and all of our schedules shift. I've been thinking about school lunch and the people in Madison who are working to get more local vegetables and fruits onto garden bars and into the hands of kids during the 20 minutes they get to sit down and eat. So this week on the podcast, I'm talking to Haley Tron at Reap Food Group. Haley has learned to have a sense of humor and a lot of patience as she works to get kids to try veggies they've never heard of. If your idea of school lunch is a slice of lukewarm pizza and sad french fries, you might enjoy this chat today. Give a listen. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Can you do just a quick introduction, let people know who you are? Absolutely. My name is Haley Tron. I am the Farm to School Education Coordinator with REAP Food Group, and this is my second year with REAP. I started as an AmeriCorps Farm to School Specialist in 2017, shortly after graduating from UW-Madison, and then transitioned into a staff role after my year service at REAP. And now my job is to coordinate AmeriCorps members to go into Madison schools and teach kids about nutrition, agriculture, where our food is coming from, and basic cooking skills. That sounds like a great job, actually. Definitely. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Challenging, but a lot of fun. Oh, I'm sure. How? What did you study in school that, that led you to REAP? So I actually studied history and environmental studies. So I'm a humanities major making my way into the education world. And I got interested in farm-to-school work, both from a personal perspective as well as professionally. I have worked in restaurants since I was 15 years old and have always been interested in food and food service. And both of my parents grew up on farms, but I grew up in both urban centers as well as smaller towns, but not ever really interacting with farms or growing food. And so I became interested in that part of my history and how I could integrate it into my life. And I found an internship with Community Groundworks after I had graduated, and I worked with kids outside in a kid's garden, cooking a lot, doing some gardening, and I thought that this is for me. It's great. I want to work outside. I want to work with kids and work with food, but don't necessarily want to be a classroom teacher. So for people who don't know what Farm to School is, what REAP does with Farm to School, can you give a brief overview of what that is? Yes. So REAP began as a group of interested parents, academics, coming together and talking about food and food systems, and then transitioned into a nonprofit. And we started with the Wisconsin Homegrown Lunch Program, which started to talk with schools and food service about how we can get more local foods into school lunch and how we can teach kids about nutrition. And then 12 years ago, REAP started working with the AmeriCorps Farm to School program 
and established the Farm to School Partnership with MMSD Food Service. So that solidified the partnership that Farm to School benefits students by bringing local foods into school lunch, into the classroom with snacks, and it also provides them an opportunity to learn about nutrition and where their food is coming from in a capacity that they may not be able to get during regular school hours from teachers who have so many other things to teach. So this was a way for us to get community members involved through AmeriCorps service and teach kids about where their food is coming from while also connecting farmers and getting that economic piece of having their product in schools. I remember I, I, I wrote a story with my former colleague Amber Walker a couple of years ago about uh, farm to school and about school lunches and some of the systemic challenges that are around that, like the fact that some of these schools were built at a time when most everyone went home for lunch. And so they're not facilities on site where you could like prep a salad or prep, you know, something that would be heated. Um, you can't really cook in some of these schools. And so I wonder, you said that the um, you've had the AmeriCorps partnership for 12 years. It's been going on for a, a while. What are some of the, the sort of systems that you have put in place over the years to make that an easier flow into schools to get local food into schools? Right. So not having cooking space is a huge challenge, especially in our elementary schools. Our middle and high schools do have some more kitchen space, some prep ability. However, it's, most of the food is prepared at MMSD's food service facility. So one of the greatest successes of our program was establishing the garden bars in every MMSD school. There's tons of research on why salad bars are really great for kids. It allows them to make a choice on what fruit or vegetable they're going to eat that day. It cuts down on waste because students can decide how much they would like to take uh, beyond that required amount that they need to take with school lunch. And there's less packaging waste. Mm. So that was over a five-year project, I believe, to establish all of those garden bars. And we had a lot of community help um, because they are expensive to install. And that has been a huge asset to getting local foods into schools because now we can bring in vegetables, put them on the garden bar, and we don't have to prepack everything. I remember uh, writing about those, and it was like everything, they look so pretty. Like, yeah, they're beautifully designed, they're, they're so really colorful. Lovely. Yeah. Yeah, and we've actually been talking about this year how can we make them even more integrated with farm to school. So can we do some farmer profiles and put those up on the garden bar so that kids make the connection of like, oh, this carrot actually came from that guy. the ground. <laughs> yeah, that guy that maybe comes to visit my classroom or, you know, they understand the connection between where their food is coming from and why it's good for us. So the garden bars are a huge asset. It's amazing to me how like catchy some of these, the, the lessons and things, because I, I went and observed a couple of lessons in schools about like, here's where your food comes from. And even now I will sometimes be in my kitchen and be like, dirt, you made my lunch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. It's important to make it fun for kids, yeah. I think, especially when it might be something that they have never seen before. Um, you know, I don't think that I was eating fresh carrots as a kid, baby carrots were carrots, you know? That's yeah. just what it was. And so we're bringing in a lot of different foods that kids may have never seen before. And I think it's really important to make it fun and comfortable for them. And then they are definitely more likely to try what we're bringing. This is such a time, too, in, in the season of abundance. Like, mm -hmm. right as people are all, we're all going back to school, starting the school year again, like, my, my fridge is just full of vegetables. There's so much that's coming from the CSA farm. And it's just, it seems like there are so many opportunities to, to have kids 
have the number of tries they need to actually like something or be willing. How many do you do you know how many tries it is for like a kid to try a new food? It's over sometimes 10, I think. Oh my gosh. And some okay. people say even 20, and it depends on the age that the child's trying it and their particular palate, but the earlier you have a child try something, the more likely they are to integrate it into their diet for a lifetime. But I, you know, I think that we can have kids trying things into their middle school and teenage years as well and if they're trying it at least 10 times and they're definitely more likely to see that product whether it's at the grocery store at a market at a restaurant and try it and I think that that has been really interesting for me to see too because my diet's changed so much since I was a kid like it was a lot of hamburger helper and a lot of meat and potatoes which was awesome and I was well fed but vegetables weren't always a regular part of the diet because my parents were working a lot so I understand where kids are coming from in that vein and I think that it's really important to just introduce them to things early on but also that there's always time to change your lifestyle and your diet and I think that that's something really important for parents to know too because it can be really daunting when your kid does not want to eat any vegetable that you put in front of them Um, and you know it's personally kind of hurtful you feel rejected when you're trying to do the best thing for your kid but it takes some time and just know that it's not a personal thing that kids are sensitive to what they eat for sure it can be texture it can be taste um, just the environment that they might be eating in or they maybe had a bad experience one time and so they're totally turned off to that food item it doesn't have to be forever and we can do things whether it's in the classroom or at home to make it more fun for kids and Part of what Reap really loves is getting kids involved with the cooking and the preparation of the food because that is a huge factor in getting kids to try something. If they feel like they had a part in making it, they're really personally invested in it because they just spent the last half an hour learning how to cut carrots and how to tear kale and massage it, then they're definitely more likely to try something and we can get the entire classroom really invested and excited about doing this and it just makes the experience a whole lot of fun and more successful. Was that an evolution for you, too, like when you first started working in classrooms um, to, like, meet the kid who says, I only like ketchup, I don't like any vegetables, I won't try honey, like, mm-hmm. things that you would th- think would be obvious. Oh, a kid is, of course, going to love this thing, but, but or, you know, some luscious fruit that is yeah. so delicious, and, and they, or that you know, like, where the farm, the farm that made that fruit, that you know where it came from. Like, was that something where you had to like get a little bit of a thicker skin yourself? Yeah, definitely. It took a (laughs) lot of time and I've definitely been rejected time and time again by kids or, you know, they'll say, I'm not trying this. And then they eat it and they're asking for seconds. And then you have those kind of moments of redemption. Like, I got you. I knew that you would like this. But yeah, I have one particular moment when I was in AmeriCorps. We do Dirt Made My Lunch as a lesson talking about where all of our food comes from. And we might take a cheeseburger and trace it back to dirt, every single item. And kids make that connection like, oh, even cheese, you can trace it back to the dirt because the cow is eating grass or corn. And this kid was like, I can't believe that all food is coming from dirt. This is disgusting. I'm not eating it. I'm only eating candy. And I was like, well, what is candy made from? Oh, no. Okay. (laughs) Is it sugar? And he's like, yeah. Well, sugar doesn't come from dirt. And then we had this long conversation about how sugar does, in fact, come from dirt in its many forms. And he kind of took that and sat with it for a little while and walked away and then tried the snack later. So (laughs) that was a huge win. But it's just about working through it and knowing that you're not going to change every kid's outlook in one day or, you know, even through a five lesson series, you might not change that kid's outlook then. But, you know, they might not be in a position to change and that's okay. So it's something you just have to take with a grain of salt. (laughs) Or sugar. Yeah, or sugar. (laughs)
This podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences. Join the Madison-based team working to lead earlier cancer detection. Visit exactsciences.com to view the company's hundreds of open jobs. If you like The Corner Table, check out our other podcasts. On Wedge Issues, Cap Time's opinion editor Jesse Opoyan dives into state government every Friday at 10 a.m. On The Mad Splainers, Eric and Abby make city policy fun. We have ongoing Cap Times talks, and from the folks at the Wisconsin State Journal, check out the politics podcasts on our stage. Find those wherever you get your podcasts. When you were looking into this coming school year, just about to start here, or already started for many schools, um, what are some of the things you're most excited about this school year, and what are the big challenges that you're looking at? Absolutely. So I'll give a recap, too, just of what we've accomplished in the last school year, and then we can look forward to this school year. So in the 2018-19 school year, MMSD served just shy of 140,000 pounds of local produce in schools. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's a lot of local produce, and that amounted to $157,000 spent on local produce from farms, which is incredible to me when most of it's being served on the garden bars. Um, And that does also include our snack program. So there's a USDA grant called the Fresh Fruit and Vegetable Program, which last year provided a local snack once a week to students to 11 elementary schools. This year it will be 12. We're really excited to add another school. And those students also receive a fresh fruit or vegetable other days of the week that MMSD's food service provides. And so they get to try really fun things. Last year, they got star fruit from Brazil. Oh, cool. And yeah, the whole point of the program is to not only get a healthy snack into classrooms, but also for kids to be trying new things. So it's really exciting that we get to combine these exotic fruits and, um, you know, fresh strawberries and pears and grapes also with a local item once a week that reap provides. I definitely did not have star fruit until I was a full adult. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely not. It's funny, the first time I had star fruit was in Belize last summer, and then the kids got it the next year, and I was oh my like, gosh. wow, that's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> we also have a summer meals program through oh, the right, USDA, yeah. yeah, that we just finished up. There are just over 40 sites, and those include summer schools, community centers, and then REAP runs two park sites at Leopold Park and Southdale Park. And out of the 35 meal days, there were 28 days with the local items served. So we had cherry tomatoes, snap peas, broccoli, cauliflower, um, and that comes as a side for students. So that was really great. And a lot of food service um, districts try to integrate local foods into summer because their quantities are typically um, decreased from what the school year is, and it's a nice way to try out certain things. And then this year, looking forward, the challenge is really with getting local foods into schools is cost, of course. The schools only get reimbursement for the cost of the food and not really the labor. So if you're getting whole carrots um, from a farm that need quite a bit of cleaning, processing, they can't really provide the labor to do that when they're serving 20,000 breakfasts and lunches a day. So that's a huge barrier is processing capability as well as um, the cost. So the local food itself doesn't necessarily cost more. It's just the time of processing that goes into it. And REAP is really excited to have launched our 
pilot processing for vegetables at Madison Area Technical College. So that will provide, right now, broccoli and cauliflower to MMSD. We've already provided some for summer meals, which has been really exciting. And then that's also going to UW Hospital and UW Dining. But we will continue that through the fall and a little bit into winter. And we're looking forward to processing, hopefully, some other items like kohlrabi or coleslaw mixes for the school district. Looking forward as well, we have our food truck called Uproot by Reap, which Roth Cheese generously donated this full-service food truck to us two years ago. We had it rewrapped and branded, and last year we had our first year of serving a school meal out of the truck at East Memorial and La Follette High Schools. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah. And I think I also saw you guys at festivals, too. Like, um... Yeah, we've done Makeshift a couple years ago. Yeah. We did that festival before the truck was wrapped, so it was kind of just this bare, um, <laughs> right. you know, gold mine of a project that we could work on, and it's evolved so much, and we are really excited that the school district has been willing to work with the truck because it's a big deal to disrupt your normal processes when you have so many meals to serve a day Mm. to serve an elevated meal out of the truck with a local ingredient to the high schools but they have been incredibly fun to work with and we're really excited to up our communications and our marketing with it and get more students eating that meal because it's a school lunch the students just punch in their code as they would in the cafeteria but it's providing a different option something fun uh, about an elevated meal from what they might see in the cafeteria. And as you know, um, high schools have off-campus lunch. So that's some big competition as well um, in terms of getting more students eating school lunch because the more students who are eating school lunch, the more money the district has to work with. And, of course, then you can be um, procuring more local foods. So this can be an avenue for the district to increase their meal numbers and Lots of students also, I think, feel a stigma around eating cafeteria lunch, and that's something that we've learned through many surveys with students and parents is that, you know, school lunch kind of gets a bad rap all the time, and I don't think that students and families necessarily know all of the things that MMSD are doing with food service and all of the great projects that they've put in place, and so it's really fun to talk with people about what MMSD has been up to and get more feedback from families and and students because we do care about the food that they're eating and want to make it better. What is some of the feedback that you do get from parents and families that you know you sort of like okay we hear a lot that they want more vegetarian options and you know I know that like MS- MSD is working you know maybe in that direction but also there's a local food component there mm-hmm. because you can there's a lot of veggies that are grown in southern Wisconsin right so um, I, I wonder are there like specific places with feedback where you think that reap could be or the farm to school could be of particular value yeah that's a great question I think that I was actually just reading the 2006 um, feedback on food service report oh, wow. it's this giant packet they surveyed thousands of teachers, students, families about school food, and there were lots of requests for more local fresh ingredients. And that was before the garden bars were installed. So it's been really exciting to see those go in and see the amount of local food being provided in schools increase. But I think that some of the other things that the district is working on, and this is kind of looking away from providing local foods, but is the environment and the time that students get to eat lunch. So in the 2018 amended wellness policy that the school board passed, 
there was a section about how much time students get to eat school lunch. And so for this school year, 2019-2020, schools need to provide at least 20 minutes of seated time for students to eat lunch. And that's up from 15 minutes, which... Five minutes is a lot of extra time for kids. Um, it is. I, and I also feel like 20 minutes is still pretty short. It is. Yeah, <laughs> it's hard. Um, they have a lot of students to get through the lunch line, and um, it's difficult. I feel like schools are scheduled literally down to the minute. Oh, for sure. To fit everything in. Yeah. Yeah, and so this is, can be a really positive change, I think, for students because they have to kind of choose between – social time and eating time and kids more often than not might choose to socialize and individual schools have already been hearing that feedback from families and students and have had really innovative solutions to that feedback um, such as some elementary schools have decided to have students eat in their classrooms as opposed to in the gym or cafeteria space because then students are in an environment with less students there's less noise. They can still choose to socialize, but in just a little bit more of a calm environment where they are actually focusing on their food and not all of the noise and excitement and maybe stress around them. And that's been really great for students because then it's also easier for teachers to gently remind students to keep eating. Whereas when you're in a cafeteria with 50 to 100 students, it's a little bit more difficult. Is there is there a place when you're thinking about um, teaching kids about where their food comes from or, you know, trying new things or, you know, trying to think about that connection between the farm and the, the food on their plates? Are there ages where it's it's more beneficial than others? So I feel like when kids are really little, like really little, they'll eat anything. Mm-hmm. And then for a while, they'll eat like nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then they sort of add things back in as they go. But right. is there are there like sweet spots in terms of like, you know, if we really get them um, right, right before middle school, like that's a great place. Like, I, I mean, I, I don't know the research around this, but I wonder if if there are places where it's particularly valuable or powerful to like get this kind of message across. Yeah. So in the farm to school world, the focus on early childcare education is huge because there is lots of research that the earlier you start kids trying things, the more likely they are to integrate it into their diet. However, I do think that there is kind of a sweet spot when it comes to coupling that education with the cooking skills when it comes to students. And so I think that middle school and high school is a really great time because students realize that they have the ability to make more choices when it comes to their food at that time. They may be just getting an allowance or having a job and they get to decide where they're going to eat or they might be getting ready to move away from home after they graduate. And I think that it's really important to increase food literacy in terms of preparing foods knowing how to prepare them, communicating that it's more cost-effective to do so and it can enrich your life, whether you're interested in science or art or history, you can incorporate food into your life in that way. And so I think that there is kind of a lack of research on how beneficial that can be for students, but I know that families and community members are thinking about this and there have been a number of initiatives around the country to increase that access to education for students in both elementary and middle and high school. Um, I'm thinking of Pilot Light in Chicago. It's a nonprofit where chefs came together and they are actually training teachers to provide this education to students, but then also coming into classrooms K through 12 and 
having taste tests with kids and trying out new foods and it's being integrated into the curriculum in a more institutional way and that's really beneficial for students. There is some interaction between chefs and students in Madison with a Chef in the Classroom program that I've heard about over the years. Uh, But also there's been like a competition thing in the past couple of years. Yeah, Top Chef. Yeah. 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 And that seemed really cute. Um, yeah. I, I thought it was kind of interesting to think about, like, there are a lot of chefs who do have kids and, and who have, like, a vested interest in improving the lunches in the, the schools where their kids go. Um, I wonder, like, has that program evolved a bit over the years in terms of, like, who's participating and what they do, like, what kinds of things they teach? Yeah, so that program has evolved quite a bit. Um, chefs Lisa Jacobson and Tori Miller piloted those programs about 10 years ago when they were working really closely with REAP. Lisa was actually a a staff member at REAP, and so this is when she was really invested in that program, and they got it off the ground at both Sherman Middle School and East High School. And we're still doing Chef in the Classroom at East High School, and we are exploring some other options to increase that. However, with AmeriCorps, those standards, the standards that we have to follow for AmeriCorps have been changing, and that includes providing more of the in-class nutrition education to our especially third grade students but um it can be any students k through 12 um and so we've had to pull back a little bit from increasing chef in the classroom education but we are getting interest from other districts for example middleton and um and sun prairie have both been interested in chef in the classroom and so we've been communicating a lot with them about how our processes work and what we do to involve chefs in the classroom and what kind of skills we're teaching So at East, we have a two-day session where students get to prep ingredients on the first day and learn a little bit about the history. For example, Jason Kears from Adama loves to talk to kids about food, culture, and history, and so that's always a big part of his sessions. And then the second day, they prepare the food and eat together. So that's typically how the structure goes, and those students at East are already in a culinary arts course, so they are getting some of that background information, whether it's nutrition or where food is coming from, but also the knife skills and the cooking skills to take on sort of an elevated recipe. And the chefs are definitely ambitious. And I love to see them come in with like four different things that the kids are going to make. And it feels pretty professional. And then it's fun because they get to have a conversation about how this could actually be your job. You could make this a career and or you can just take it home and use it in your personal life. It's really fun. And it's it's fun to see like how the chefs engage with the students and because because it's such a tactile thing. too, yeah. And you get to eat at the end, which is great. Right. Um, yeah. I remember talking with Peter, who founded RP's Pasta mm-hmm. about I think he was like having them make orecchietti, like the, yep. little, the little ears mm-hmm. pasta. And you just like smush it with your thumb mm-hmm. to make this little <laughs> bit of pasta. And I thought, oh, my gosh, that would be so cool. Like I would be I'd be very into that if that happened in my classroom as a kiddo, I think. Yeah, we've done fresh pasta a few times in the past couple of years and kids love it. They don't at first understand how you can possibly put pasta in the water for like 30 seconds and it's done yeah they, like, don't believe you they're like this is going to be raw I'm not eating this and you have to explain to them the difference between dry and fresh pasta and it's a really fun lesson on just how our food is prepared and also science and it's really fun to integrate all of those little connections that kids are making while they're cooking so are there programs that REAP does that you are like specifically excited about or that you really want to share 
Yeah, so programming for REAP is a huge part of our work. We have our nutrition education with students in elementary schools, and we are looking forward to developing middle and high school lesson series as well. So we're looking forward to that in the next year. And if you as a parent are interested or a teacher in having these lessons, we would love to connect with you. We also have Uproot serving our meals in the fall and spring, and we're also looking forward to doing some innovating on how we can continue to serve those meals if there's bad weather. So oh, we had a yeah. lot of serving days last year where it was really cold or snowy or rainy, and we couldn't serve. So we're looking forward to hopefully being able to provide that meal inside the school walls and still have that service. Also, we're looking forward to National Farm to School Month, which is October. So to celebrate, we have the Great Lakes Apple Crunch, which is a regional day where local apples are celebrated, local farmers and producers, and MMSD will provide local apples on the garden bars at every MMSD school on um, October 10th. That's a Thursday. So students will be able to get a local apple. We'll do some communication about that, why it's important to know where our food comes from and be excited about apples. People love apple season too. So it's just a really fun way to celebrate farm to school. And then something around Wisconsin that has been developing over the past couple of years is the chili lunch. So Lacrosse area farm to school programming is really strong and they have done a chili lunch in the past that highlights their future farmers of America as well as 4-H programs so they do an entirely local chili lunch that's served in their high schools and the statewide Wisconsin farm to school network saw what they were doing and thought we should do this across the entire state so last year we did have a chili lunch at our high schools and this year we're really looking forward to upping that quantity. So elementary schools actually don't have lunch that day. It's Thursday, November 14th, but there will be chili at the middle and high schools. And then we are looking into doing a couple smaller schools with an entirely local meal. So does REAP work a lot with volunteers? Yes, we do work with volunteers. Um, We've had a number of things that volunteers can do in the past, whether it's visiting classrooms to help out with nutrition lessons. We have had volunteers help us with our snack program and our snack processing this year, we'll actually be working with Zendesk. They have a social responsibility um, portion of their workload, so their staff gets to leave during a workday and go and volunteer in the community, and we're really excited to have them helping us process our snack for our elementary students this year. Um, and then we've also had volunteers for various events. I would say that's where we get the most volunteers. Um, for REAP is through our fundraising events, so we have... Um, gala each year in November where we highlight the bounty from um, local foods in the area and chefs prepare a meal for a number of tables and then we also have burgers and brew in June which those are our two biggest fundraisers and we have a lot of volunteers so if you're ever interested please find us on Facebook or our website and reach out we would love to have you volunteer with us and the website for REAP is? It is reapfoodgroup.org. That's R-E-A-P, foodgroup.org. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming in today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. This has been The Corner Table, a podcast about food and drink in Madison, Wisconsin, produced by the Capital Times. Our music was composed by Patrick Christians. We get podcasting help from Eric Lawrenson. You can get more food and drink news and features every day at captimes.com. 
Follow us on Facebook and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Check out our live podcast at IdeaFest with Yia Vang coming up on September 14th. For a full schedule for IdeaFest and tickets, visit captimesideafest.com. I am your host, Lindsay Christians. My wish for you this week is fresh sweet corn with butter. Cheers! This Cap Times podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Learn more at exactsciences.com.